This is episode number 184 with Shalann Ginger. New concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Success 101 Podcast. Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. At each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. As always, this is your host, Jared Warren. So excited to be here with you guys today. And we've got an awesome show with my guest, Shalann Ginger. I'm so excited to bring her message to you guys today and what she has done at an incredibly young age that hopefully will blow many of you guys away. Before we dive into our awesome show today, I wanted to remind you guys that my team is still offering my book for just the shipping cost. We've sent out hundreds of these books, and I'm going to continue doing this section-by-section breakdown on some of the future live episodes as I continue to plow through the six vision-building activities and five components for creating your strategy. But my team and I want to get these books out into as many hands as we can so that you guys can follow along. And the feedback has just been amazing. If you're in the United States, you can grab this for just the shipping cost. It's just a few bucks my team's put it out there for, and they've made it really easy. Just head to success101podcast.com forward slash book and at checkout, put success101 in the promo code in order to snag it for just the shipping cost. If you're international outside of the United States, you can grab the ebook reader for just a couple of bucks more at the same address. Again, that's success101podcast.com forward slash book to grab either the ebook or the paperback version. And I can't wait to get a copy into your hands. I also want to mention there have been more and more people writing in who are signing up for my coaching programs. I signed up five more people just last week, and I've got a lot of people asking questions, and I can't wait to meet you if you're someone who joins these programs in the future. I've got four programs. These are set up to be individual or corporate programs. Head to success101podcast.com forward slash coaching. Choose the module that's right for you. And let's dive in to make the end of this year amazing and 2018 an incredible year in your development, growth, and higher levels of peak performance. Now, on to our awesome show today with Shalann Ginger. This is one I'm excited to bring you guys because we just had a ton of fun. I mentioned in the intro that Shalann has done a ton in her young age, and I think you guys are going to be blown away. She was homeschooled until she was 16, but she started her first business at the age of 15 and got the entrepreneur bug. She was hooked two days after graduating high school and two weeks before graduating college. Tell me how that happens, guys. Two days after graduating high school and two weeks before graduating college. Did I mention she's accomplished a few things? She opened the doors of New You Juice Bar all the way up in Yakima, Washington. And you're going to hear a little bit about her passion behind the juice bar, but how the juice bar is not really about the juice itself, but as a vessel to serve so many others and give back to those she comes in contact with. We're going to talk a lot today about action versus fulfillment and accomplishment and how she separates the two. Why it's so important to set a deadline, which we all know, and we've all heard that that's important, right? But why to Shalann, it's so important to set a deadline and achieve without sabotaging everything around you. We're going to talk a lot today about culture. You guys know I'm a huge culture fanatic. If we can get the right culture in place... We're going to not only attract the right people, but we're going to help them thrive in an environment that they may not have thriven in before. Write that down, guys. Thriven. You heard it here first. And also why a mission statement and personal values are so important to her, and maybe for different reasons than you guys might think. I love bringing people on this show who have achieved a lot, but it's so fun to bring someone on who has achieved so much in such a small amount of time. So without any further delay, let's jump right to my conversation with Shalann Ginger. Shillian Ginger, welcome to the Success 101 podcast. How are things all the way up in the Northwest where I really, really want to visit someday? You've never been to the Northwest? When I hear about people from up where you are, which I'm sorry, but I couldn't point to Yakima on a map if I had to. (laughs) Yeah. But I just know in that area, when you talk about Seattle, you talk about even like up into Victoria, Canada, you know, places like that. It's like, oh my gosh, I just so long to get up into that area and just 
just haven't had the opportunity or haven't made the opportunity, I guess, to do that. So how, how's the weather up there today? So the weather in Yakima where I'm at, it's definitely fall and um, it's probably around 50 degrees outside, but my family lives closer to Seattle on a pass called Snoqualmie Pass. So to get from Yakima to Seattle, you gotta, you gotta pass over that. And it is a blizzard up there. And I'm headed up there tonight for um, my birthday weekend. And I'm stoked because we live right by a ski area. I grew up skiing and this means we will be on those slopes um, really soon. So the weather is a little bit cool here, which isn't, where, where are you located by the way? I'm in Dallas. Dallas, Texas. Okay, well, we don't so have seasons in, in blizzards. Yeah. Our, our trees kind of get, um, they get a little less green and then they turn brown and then the leaves fall off and then you're like, wow, it's hot again. It's time to turn on the air conditioner. See, yeah, that is, I don't like that at all. You got to come up to Washington sometime, experience all the seasons. And I'm just like, fall is like, I love, I love winter, but I love, love fall and we just don't have that. So, uh, and, and you, you talk about your parents living on a pass. I mean, that just yeah. sounds like nostalgic, like something from uh, like fairy, t- like Chronicles of Narnia or something. So, you know, it kind of is. Um, I was born closer um, to Seattle in a place called Renton, Washington. And uh, when I was about three years old, we moved to the mountains. And so we lived in a mountain cabin. I was homeschooled most of my life. And for a while, we would go to town about once a month. So I definitely did grow up, not Little House on the Prairie, but Little House on the Mountains way, (laughs) for sure. And yeah, then moved to Yakima about 13 years ago. So we have a lot to talk about today, including your new book, Dear Millennial, that I had the privilege to read and go through before it was released. I felt so privileged to be able to do that and was just blown away. And I'm sitting there listening to not only the entrepreneurial depth, but the insight you have, the maturity, the wisdom. And I'm going like, wow, what was I thinking about when I was 20 years old? We probably wouldn't even be friends because, uh, (laughs) you know, I don't know what I was thinking about back then, but it wasn't that kind of stuff. So you know, let's go ahead and dive in here. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of this book, where it came from. I remember, because we are closely mm-hmm. connected to a lot of the same people out there, but I think I remember seeing your first video where you announced, hey, I'm doing a book. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, that's all. And it just seems like, to you, it probably doesn't seem like overnight because of all the work you put into it. But to me, it seems like we blinked and this thing's already out now on Amazon. It didn't take, you know, it didn't take very long as far as the, my perception on it. So you got this thing done quickly. Mm-hmm. But once I read through it, it was like, wow, this is really good. Tell us more about why a book of all the things you could have done and why millennials. Yeah. Um, and first of all, I, I forgot to say this at the beginning, but I am so honored to be on your podcast. You're an amazing person and you're doing awesome things. And so really uh, feeling blessed to be able to share my story with you and the listeners today. So thanks for having me on the podcast. So if you had told me... At this time last year, Shalane, you will have published a book before your 21st birthday. I would have laughed in your face and said, there's no way. Like, I don't even want to write a book. What would I write about? It wasn't even on my radar. And so this wasn't a long thing in the making. No, no, no. Like I have businesses and I'm an entrepreneur and like I pretty much always known I was going to go that route. But a book was never a book seemed too too far off. Like it just seemed like this crazy far off goal that even if I wanted to, I couldn't even accomplish it. And so I didn't even let myself go there. And so in the spring of 2017, so actually just a few months ago, I, I am a Christian and, um, God told me that you need to write a book. And I kind of laughed it off. You know, it was like, ah, that's, that's a good one. Um, but it kept coming up over and over again. So finally I was like, well, God, if you want me to write this book, then you're going to have to write it. And at this point I had interviewed a guy, um, who you I'm sure know of named Chandler Bolt on my podcast a few months before. And he has a business called self-publishing school. And at this point, like I had um, read his book because I was like, well, if I'm going to write a book, I kind of want to go into this with a plan because I'm an organized person. Um, But it still was something that it was like, you know, I'm not sure if this is actually going to happen, but I'm going to kind of, you know, ride the fence on this and dip into the waters, see if it's a possibility. So I sit down one morning at like 6 a.m. in the morning after my morning routine and stuff. And I'm like, hey, God, if you want me to write this book, make it happen. And he, I didn't even keep in mind, I didn't even know what I was going to write about. And a whole book just downloaded onto the paper in front of me. It was like the most, I'm not even joking, like such a divine moment. 
And to this day, the chapter titles, the subtitles, um, pretty much everything in that book is from that moment, minus a few grammatical things here and there. I decided, well, I was like, okay, well, you obviously are writing this book for me, so we're going to go all in on this. And I set a launch date and I did something that was perhaps the scariest and I recorded a video, which is what you referenced, um, stating to the entire world that Shalan Ginger was going to write a book. And on top of that, I set an exact date for when I was going to publish this book, which was four months later. That was something that I... Um, thanked myself for and hated myself for. Hate is a strong word, but basically every day I was like, why did you do that, Shlin? Um, For that whole process, because there was such an, a social accountability there that in the times where, um, and Jared, you've written a book, you'll know what I'm talking about. This was the most challenging thing I've ever done. And I've done a lot of challenging things, but it was so challenging because I call this book like 200 pages of my heart. It's very vulnerable. There's a lot of personal stories and writing a book takes a lot out of you. So during the challenging process, there's so many times where I just wanted to throw in the towel and, and give up and walk away. But I had promised all these people that I was going to write a book and I had to deliver on that. I know one of the parts in your book is to have a bias toward taking action. Do you feel like you're naturally wired that way? Or do you feel like that is just something you knew you had to do in order to do this since it wasn't really something you wanted to do anyway? What is your makeup and wiring when it comes to that bias to take action as you write about? That has been something that I have had to develop over time. For me, a bias towards action is something that I've always known I needed to have, but it's something I have to intentionally do. And over the past few years, I've just practiced it so much that now it's like, um, it comes more second nature to me. And so with this book, I definitely, definitely had to take that route for sure. Um, so at the very beginning, I made an entire plan, an entire timeline, put everything in my calendar. I, I literally mapped everything out because I run uh, two other businesses and, you know, do my best to have a life <laughs> to me. Um, the biggest excuse for not writing a book is a lot of people's excuse. I don't have time, but I'm never going to have time unless I make it. So for me, in order to have that bias towards action, I had to make a very, very rigid plan and be super organized about it. Otherwise, I'd just be super overwhelmed and stressed because I wouldn't have a map for how to accomplish it, if that makes sense. It seems simple, right? But it's harder to put into practice. It's anybody can sit down yeah. and say, oh, if I want this to happen by a certain time, let's map it out. How many people are actually doing that though? So this actually becomes a thing. I started watching the different book covers develop and evolve. And it was one that I really <laughs> oh, didn't, didn't like at all. And so I'm so glad that you didn't go with it. And I was it the, the one with the compass on it? It was that one. Yep. And normally I wouldn't be so opinionated on that, but I think it's because the one that you actually ended up picking is so much better that mm -hmm. we can now talk about the other one. Right. We can joke about the other one. The, the cover process was so tedious. I spent hours with my designer. Like we would meet at a coffee shop at 5 a.m. and not get out of there till nine. We'd stay up till like two in the morning. I had another designer and then got this new designer who was actually on the launch team and who's a, a phenomenal designer. We went through so many drafts, probably like, oh, I don't even know, 20 drafts of covers in a week and ended up with what we had in like a little under two weeks. It was really fast turnover, really exhausting, but I am very happy with the outcome. So it was totally worth it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and it's great. And I would tell you guys for anybody out there who's listening to this, who's in a leadership or a development position where you are working with a lot of millennials, such as I am. And I used to have a very different uh, feeling about millennials, which we may get into here in just a second. And I had to, I just, I had to learn them. And once I learned them, it's like, okay, I, I know better how to associate. I know better how to how to work. So for any of you out there, I would recommend this book simply because it's going to help you really relate to a lot of what Shailen and I talk about today. And I know in conversations that we've had, extreme ownership is a big, big deal for you. How, how does that play out? How does that, you know, something that you live by and you speak about where, you know, of all the things that could really strike a flame in you, why is it that? That's such a good question. Extreme ownership is a topic that literally changed every single sphere of my life. And I'm not even exaggerating. I read 
a book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin about two years ago. And uh, keep in mind, I had just started the juice bar. So I was 18 years old. I really had not stepped into my own as a business owner, which makes sense because I was really young, fresh out of college, fresh out of high school, etc. And I read this book and it shifted my perspectives in a way that like literally transformed the way I view every area in my life. Um, And for those of you who don't know, the concept of extreme ownership is taking ownership of yourself and your actions and those of the people closest to you. So something I like to say that really puts it into perspective is I am where I am today because of the decisions that I have made or the decisions I have let other people make for me. So when I really took this concept seriously, I looked into every area of my life and we'll take the juice bar, for example, and really had a self-check moment where I realized that I wasn't taking ownership for a lot of the things happening in the business. So I took it to the extreme and I decided since I am majority owner of this business, If a customer is unhappy, let's say a smoothie gets out the door and it's not blended all the way. That's a juice bar. These things do happen. Even if I'm like in San Diego or something, I had nothing to do with that transaction or making the smoothie. If I hear about that, as the owner of that business, I'm going to take complete responsibility for it. Um, I'm going to go to my employee and, and say, hey, I'm sorry, because at some point along the way, I failed to delegate someone to train them properly, train them myself properly, or create a system for success in that area. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go in there. I'm going to have that conversation and I'm going to fix whatever needs to be fixed in order to ensure that the likelihood of that happening again is dramatically decreased. And when I started looking at every single area of my life that way, my health, my relationships, my business, it changed. It was a game changer for me because by default, I'm more of a control freak. I've gotten a lot better, but micromanaging is what I do (laughs) when, especially when I'm stressed. Um, Because if, if I, you know, I know I can do it right. It's scary. It was scary for me to like delegate it and stuff, but this kind of took the control off the actual thing and put the control on the bigger picture and um, helps me realize that no matter what happens, I can go in there, take ownership of it. And it takes out the blaming game. It makes um, me much more of a better person to work with. You know, my employees know they can confront me about anything. They can talk to me about anything um, because I'm never going to look at them and be like, this is your fault. You're really screwing up here. I'm always going to, I love this saying, in your business, when things are going well, look out the window. And when things are going wrong, look in the mirror. Um, And so I just try to keep that in mind. I love sayings like that in quotes because it really... They're like mental like joggers for me. They put things into perspective really fast no matter what situation I'm in. And so that's something that I implemented in my life, changed my life so much to the point where I decided to dedicate an entire chapter or section actually in the book about it. Because I think that if people really grasped and not only grasped, but implemented the concept of extreme ownership in their life, it would be a not a game changer just for them, but a world changer. Yeah, that's a little bit about my journey with extreme ownership and why I am so passionate about it. I know in your book, I mean, there's just so many different directions we could go here, but part of what you talk about is achievement versus fulfillment, which, you know, I think a lot of people put those Mm -hmm. things into the same, you know, genre together. Right. And uh, one of your chapters is defining what fulfills you, which I think a lot of people out there, they, they may misdiagnose that in their own life because they, you know, that changes as we get older, what fulfills us can change. But many times you ask people about their goals or their ambitions or what's fulfilling, what gives you purpose, what gives you, what's your why? And they can kind of give you a couple of things here and there, but many times it is around achievement. I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. I want to make sure I do this by this certain time. Why do you write about achievement doesn't equate to fulfillment? What does that really mean to you? Well, I am a very 
goal-oriented person, like very goal-oriented. And I've um, been very blessed to accomplish a lot of goals in my life. And I had this preconceived idea that when I accomplished a goal, for example, when I opened the doors of the juice bar, when I released my first podcast episode, when I published my first book, I was all of a sudden going to feel this sense of fulfillment, like the I've made it sense. After, you know, accomplishing some major goals here and there, I realized that you feel that for probably 30 seconds to a minute and then it's gone. Like it's like, oh, you know, or maybe it's for you. It's a day. It's different for everyone. But for me, it's like usually a minute. It's like I did it. Okay, this feels good. Okay. All right. Well, now what? You know, and I realized that I wasn't necessarily chasing the achievement of the goal in the first place, but that the that the thing and the why like to getting me to that goal, the thing that I always thought of um, and can imagine how it would felt was the fulfillment I wanted to feel feel behind it. And I was listening to an episode with Tony Robbins and he was able to put into words what I was feeling. And that is the whole um, fulfillment and achievement are not the same thing. Achievement is, you know, literally just achieving something like getting something done, checking something off your to-do list. Fulfillment is the feeling behind that, you know? So for me, I really looked at my life and I decided to inject fulfillment, which like you mentioned, fulfillment looks different for everyone. So for me, the fulfilling spheres of my life are first and foremost, you know, my relationship with God, my spirituality, and then second, my physical, emotional, and spiritual health. And then third, my relationships in my life. Like those are my top spheres, my top priorities. So I started looking at the achievements in my life, the things I wanted to achieve, and then injecting fulfillment into different areas of that and letting that fulfillment be my motivation because I knew that that was going to ultimately, you know, taking little steps towards that lead to an overall fulfilling life, living every single moment fulfilled. Because I believe at the end of the day, that's what we're all chasing. Think about it. We're all chasing fulfillment of some way, shape, or form, like in our health, in our finances, in our relationships. Um, So it's kind of the concept of just shifting your focus mentally and being intentional about how you look things and what you're actually chasing. So an example is uh, when I published my book, it was the book was like the proof of the book, if that makes sense. Like the goal setting portion of the book, I actually used the book as as an example because that was the most extreme example I had of why my goal setting system works. And so I walked them through the process of that. Um, And the same went for the fulfillment aspect. So my book published on a Tuesday. And when it published, I sat there for a second. And I was like, holy cow, I did it. I don't feel any different. (laughs) Like it was the weirdest thing. You know, you work so hard for something and it happens and then you sit there and I did not feel any different, but I was intentional from the beginning about injecting areas of fulfillment in that. I had not neglected my health in the book writing process. I hadn't neglected my relationships. And I had a moment where it was like, I am so grateful right now that I did not, that I wasn't so distracted by the hustle and the, this kind of, this is a strong word, but selfishness of just me and accomplishing what I want in life that I neglected those relationships because on that day, I still had strong relationships with people who wanted to celebrate with me, who were there for me. And I had the health and, you know, the spiritual and mental health to be able to enjoy that. So that's kind of like a long explanation for why I believe that really grasping the difference between achievement and fulfillment is so critical. That's so key and so well put. And and like you said, you didn't sabotage any of that along the 
process like many people do. Talk to me about culture. I know you're big on culture. I have to be that way here in my office working with a lot of millennials and working with a lot of people. But uh, before we get on the point of why you wrote specifically about millennials of, of any way you could have taken this thing, talk to me about why culture is such a big thing at your age right now and, and why you focus on that. Yeah. So there's tons, hundreds, thousands, millions of businesses in this world. And what differentiates your business from another business in the same category of businesses? And for me, you know, I really sat down and I asked myself that question at the beginning of the juice bar. Um, For us though, you know, we are the only juice bar in Yakima right now, which is insane. And I love that. Um, But our competition is like coffee shops and other faster, like healthier food options in Yakima. And we really had to like break into the market in Yakima because Yakima is literally, I'm not joking here, 10 to five years behind everywhere else health-wise, which is ridiculous since we're so close to Seattle, but it is what it is. So when we were doing market research and I have a story in the book, um, we had people literally saying we are crazy to try to start a juice bar in Yakima and went to the only kind of juice bar that went out of business three af- three months after we opened. And it was a one o'clock on a Monday. The employee was like, you're my first customers of the day. And I <laughs> looked at my business partner at the time and basically was like, oh man, that's not a good sign. Let's start a juice bar still. Um, right. So we really had a rough go at it. And I knew that we basically couldn't just rely on our products. I don't think you should ever rely on your products, but I think for us products, you know, for most businesses usually have a little more reliance than ours did at the time. Cause people are like juice. Are you kidding me? You're trying to sell me juice right now. No joke. Like I said, we had to have a different competitive advantage and our, I've always been very mission oriented So our mission statement as a juice bar to inspire and infuse new health, new energy, and a new you was something that that was the driving factor. For me, it's never been about juice or the healthy food we we offer. It's taking it into a lifestyle. It's blessing these people's lives. And juice is just our avenue to do that. So building a company culture was a really difficult thing to do. And I thought that having my values in place, my mission in place, um, and these systems in place as a business would do it. But it wasn't until about five months later where I actually realized I have to lead by example as a leader. I've got to get the right people on the team that I started to see the changes in my actual culture. Because we have this, you know, we see... We all know of businesses, well, brick and mortar businesses are a little easier to do this with, where you walk in and it just has a culture, like it has a vibe and you love it. And whether you realize it or not, you go back to that place because that's a component of your experience. And I thought that the customers created that for a long time. And then I realized that no, culture is created from the inside out of your business. So ultimately you and your employees to your customers. So we started doing a few things that really took action on this. Once again, having a bias towards action. And we created um, monthly staff meetings where during the monthly staff meetings, we would go. So, so sorry, I don't mean to cut you off here. I want to make a point about this though, because for, for anyone who may have just had a big question mark pop up in their head earlier, you said when things are going really well, look out the window, Right. when things are not going so well, look in the mirror. Somebody could take that to say, wait a minute, she just said culture is built on the inside, so therefore things should be operating well because our culture is built on the inside. Give us a distinction, if you don't mind, between... I'm so sorry I had to stop you on that no, because I know, I, know, I know for myself, I'm going to be like, wait a minute, did she just contradict herself there? I think I know where you're going with that. But if things are going really well, looking on the outside means that people on the outside are helping you to do that, right? Because you can't do that without your customers. Right. What I think you just alluded to, though, was you're, you can't rely on your product to bring people in all the time. You can't rely on certain things. It has to start on the inside. How do those two things play together? So that whole saying is specifically when it comes to myself and leadership. So when I say um, look out to the window, I'm saying look out to the window to your team 
And when I say look in the mirror, I'm saying look in the mirror to myself, if that makes sense. So got it. So it's not look out the window at the people that are out there helping support you, customers, those sort of things. Right. So in this um, situation, I did have to look in the mirror to myself because I was not um, taking action as a leader to actually like I was all talk. Like I was just talking about our culture and I was doing nothing to actually implement it. Um, so I did take ownership for that. And I looked in the mirror and was like, well, we got to do something. Um, and now that we do have a culture and stuff as a business, we, you know, I do look to our team out the window and then, you know, I kind of look at it as like rows of people. So my team is like right up against the window and then the customers are out there too, of course, because they're an extremely important part. Does that kind of like clarify the Absolutely. response? And, and I thought that's where you were going with no, it was more of a <laughs> customer versus leadership. I just wanted to make sure that that was clear to everyone listening. In. Yeah. So what I did to take action on that with um, the team was we started having monthly meetings. And during the meetings, we would go over our our values and our mission and Um, review the past month, and we would choose a value, so a company value, to focus on. And we would also choose together a few goals to push towards, and then also with the value of focus for the value. Like, how does this actually look acted out? And then, of course, um, as the months go by, you follow up on what you did well, what you needed to do better the past month. And it was crazy how just doing that, how just showing them how important and intentional it is um, as a business to really practice what we speak was a game changer for us. And no joke, after doing that like two months, we started noticing an incredible difference in growth in our business because our customers, it's crazy, we get so much feedback every week um, from customers, like in written form, verbal form, et cetera. And they love the product, but every single person always mentions the interaction they had with the employer, or we call them juice specialists, or um, just the vibe of the business. When I interview for people for the job, most of the time they're like, I just want to work here because of the culture. Culture is so important because it, like I said, differentiates you from everyone else. And I went to, I went to Starbucks. I've gone to so many different places as I'm sure you have. And my goal with the juice bar is for every single customer to leave feeling better in every sphere that we can possibly help them um, than when they came in. And for them to have such an exceptionally good experience that they want to talk about it because people are going to provide feedback um, if they have an exceptionally bad experience or if they have an exceptionally good experience. If they have like a a normal experience, you're not going to hear about it. Um, So that's the mentality that we have and we go about with our staff um, and just building that culture and, and leading by example in that has been a game changer for us. And let me tell you, it has not been easy. We, we've we dealt with a lot of situations where we've had to do the hard thing to save that culture. And a lot of times that means transitioning someone out or transitioning a new person in. Because um, it's kind of like, your culture is kind of like, um, and this is might not be the best example, but when you're, when you're raising a child, um, in the disciplining area, you have to be really, really consistent with, uh, and you know this, Jared, I, I obviously don't have kids, um, <laughs> but when you're, dis- no, no, teach me more. <laughs> when Come you're on. disciplining kids, you have to be consistent, right? You can't just like say you can do it, um, do whatever they're doing now. And then two seconds later, let them do it. That's confusing. You're not going to get results right. from that. And so culture is kind of the same way. Like I have to be consistent. And if I allow gossip with one employee and not with another, like that's just not going to work. So I have to, as leaders of the business, you have to be on it all the time. Um, And you can create systems for this too. We have tons of systems for this and accountability systems, but you have to be consistent in what you allow and what you don't allow. So it's so interesting just, you know, again, at your age right now, just the what you're learning and what you are, what you're doing to better prepare yourself for not only 
yourself. I mean, you, you mentioned the word selfishly, you know, a few minutes ago, it's like, we have to look on the inside. Self-care is not always selfishly, but I totally understand where you were coming from there. But just your customers, your future employees that you don't even have yet, just where the juice bar or more importantly, anything over the horizon is going, you're just learning so many details. And yeah, you do have to be consistent. I'm just, I started out this podcast saying that you had a lot of depth to you. That's what I've always really appreciated about you. You, you had to have been mentored by some pretty awesome people for this little girl from, you know, upstate Washington, whatever, where it's like, hey, you know, I mean, your book, you're like, we went to town like once a week or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> hey, this is Little House of the Prairie, which my family loves, by the way. We're on season number two right now of watching that on our movie nights. But, you know, you you hit on a point a second ago, and I don't want to miss this because uh, I think it's just so important for our time today about... I'll, I'll take a step back here and say this. I have followed the work of Tal Ben-Shahar for quite a while. And when I say followed the work, he's just had some really instrumental nuggets for me. Uh, my listeners have heard me talk about the five-minute takeoff. If you don't feel like doing something, just just force yourself for five minutes to start. I heard someone, when it comes to reading the Bible one time, say, uh, you know, it was in the corporate culture, so they couldn't say Bible, but they're like, read one sentence every day of the greatest book ever written or the best-selling book ever written or something <laughs> like that. And it's like, well, you're not just going to read one sentence, you're going to get into it, but your body tells you like, well, that's dumb if I can't even read one sentence. Of course, I'm going to do that, but then you'll read like a whole chapter, you know, or you'll study it, whatever. But he talks about this concept of five-minute takeoff, and and that was instrumental to me as far as just getting things started. But my biggest lesson learned by him was about the four archetypes of how people work. And you're alluding to this a little bit when it comes to the achievement versus the fulfillment, how when you released your book, you didn't have that awestruck, you know, whatever it was that that you you thought you might have had. And that so many times for us as entrepreneurs, we get through that finish line, we put our hands on our knees and go, wow, I'm still breathing hard. I got through that. Okay, what next? And he calls that the rat racer archetype. So there's the rat racer, the hedonist, the nihilist, and then the happy person. And I think for us as entrepreneurs, many times, whether it's running our culture, whether it's releasing a book, whether it's figuring out anything else that we're going to do, we do. We cross that finish line and we go, eh, and we celebrate very poorly in most mm -hmm. cases. I don't know how you do, but like we sell, most of us celebrate very poorly in most cases. And it's like, right. well, maybe that wasn't the thing. Maybe it's this other thing that now I need to go do. And we get all excited and we get the dopamine and all of that. And then we run through the yellow tape, put our hands on our knees at the end while we're breathing hard and go, hmm, well, maybe it's this other thing. And, and what his point is, is you you think there's a there there and then you get there and there's, there's no there there. It's like, right. you know, you have to figure out a way to celebrate the journey along the way. And it sounds like you did that very much in your, you know, in your book. Talk to me, though, about when it comes to culture, when it comes to activity, fulfillment, those sort of things. What happens when the newness wears off? When you get excited about the business, you release the business, you launch the business, everyone's rocking on all cylinders, the colors are bright and shiny, it's new, it's refreshing. And then you start having those issues. You have to do the hard things, as you mentioned. You've, you've kind of run through the tape at the end of the line of excitement. Tell me how you frame those in your mind to go, well, I've got to keep the team mm -hmm. up. I've got to keep the troops organized here. I've got to keep this new refreshing feeling going to keep this culture strong for myself and for them. What are you doing as the leader of that organization to say, here's how I'm keeping people refreshed? Mm, such a good question because it's, it's a real life thing. We're all going to run into this at some point or another. And for me, in leading the team at the Juice Bar, it comes back to what we were talking about with fulfillment. Um, when I am presenting new ideas, when we're like, we just launched basically a whole new menu uh, the, at the beginning of this week, and it's going crazy. Like it's, selling out. It's it's so exciting. The team's pumped up. But when, when you're presenting these new ideas to your team, let's say you're launching a new product line like we just did, or um, a new system, or you're really succeeding financially as a business, it's important to put as much emphasis on the why behind what you're doing as the, the new aspect of what you're about to start doing. So for us, the secret here has been the why of the business. In every meeting we have, we talk about like, we try to talk about the customer feedback. Like what are the customers telling you? What's something you're doing to really um, infuse new health, you know, and recite our mission statement there. We, we focus on the why behind it so much that that's like, that's always the driving factor for me personally. And then I try to make that the driving factor for um, the girls at the business too. Honestly, for me, 
seeing that people want to come back to new you because they feel so much better once they do is way more valuable to me than hearing that somebody likes our drink. Right. So when that excitement wears off, I think that the solid foundation of that why, and for us, that's our mission and values, is still there. And that's how it is in in my personal business life as well. You know, I just launched this book. It was like a four-month just crazy journey. And, you know, you're pretty much on adrenaline the whole way through. And and now it's like you're tempted to kind of kind of think, what now? Like what what like literally it's it's just going from 10 to about like five in so many different areas. Right. But because I have a personal mission statement and personal values that I recite every single day, like there's no what now, like that feeling's definitely there. You have to deal with that. You have to acknowledge that. But I know what's next. I know that it was never about the physical book. I know it was about what that is doing to impact people. So you're no longer looking at like what new like products. I I view products, um, books, anything materialistic, basically, as as vessels to carry out your ultimate like purpose and why in your life. And I think if you're clear on that, which is why I talk about that so much in the book, I think if you're clear on that, then everything else will kind of like fall into place and ultimately give you so much more peace of mind because everything uh, has its place in a different season in your life and fits into a different component, um, ultimately to to lead to that fulfilled life. That is how I have managed to go about it and a way that I've seen work really, really well. And I think in today's time, whether it's millennials, whether it's just people not in the millennial generation, just social media, it's just we are operating on constant dopamine, constant achievement and achievement-based culture, Mm -hmm. especially here in the West, especially with this crazy chaotic world that we've built for ourselves, this whole American dream that's really not anything like what the American dream was originally supposed to be, We whatever that is today. And I think people are starting to dig deeper. And I'm so glad you discovered that at a young age because I work with people in my financial planning practice that are in their 50s that are just now realizing, hey, it's not about action. It's about fulfillment. It's about all these other things that when the excitement wears off, We don't need to just jump into this next thing over the horizon that we think is going to fulfill that because it's got to, there's, it's got to be something that's going to carry out long term and not even in that one business, but bleed into other businesses possibly. And that's really cool that you have, um, that you've gotten that. So as we get ready to wrap up the podcast here, I'm, I'm just really curious to know, I know that you had the idea for the book. It really started coming together. Why millennials? Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a great question. I am so passionate about millennials. You don't even know. Not only am I one, but I am in so many millennial groups and everything on my life is kind of built up on each other. Out of the juice bar came the entrepreneur before 25 podcast, which we haven't um, talked a lot about. So basically I interview inspiring entrepreneurs who started their journey at the age of 25 and under. And I started that because I was 18 years old running a brick and mortar. And I had nobody to like relate to or to run this same crazy entrepreneur race within life. And literally I thought there was no other young entrepreneurs on the planet. I meet a business owner and <laughs> be like, Oh my goodness. Can, can we talk? Like, can I pick your brain? Is this normal? Is this normal? <laughs> um, so I started the podcast and that went for about a year uh, not quite a year when the book idea came about and the podcast played a large, large role in that because I just released, I think my 70th episode for that. And I've done multiple interviews on top of that with young people and most of the time young entrepreneurs. And then in addition, um, just been all of a sudden submerged into the entrepreneur, young entrepreneur, um, ultimately millennial community. And I noticed all of these different patterns. And one of the main patterns I saw that I was like, you know, if we don't catch this now, this could be really detrimental because we haven't seen it played out in 10 years. Like what what the effect of what we're doing now is going to be played out in 10 years for those of us who are in our early 20s. And it was the pattern we've been talking about that that they're chasing um, achievement versus fulfillment. And to put this into more of a a real life example, 
they, um, a lot of young entrepreneurs, our pain point for as millennials, one of our biggest pain point is we want to live a purpose-filled life. You know, we want every second to matter and to make things worse. And a lot of people are like, this makes things better. But to make things worse, we have everything at our fingertips in order to do this because of technology, social media, and all other forms of media. So that's created kind of like this crazy effect where we're trying to do everything at 200% all the time. And there's this this saying that you definitely have heard of that I kind of make fun of, um, the hustle, hustle, hustle saying. And I, I make fun of it. I talk to my siblings and joke like, oh, you know, I'm just hustle, hustle grinding over here. Um, because <laughs> we're so focused on the hustle that we're completely sometimes neglecting everything else. And I share this in the book, like I've literally lost relationships over this. Like I literally had a guy say to me once, you know, I couldn't do business and be in a relationship with you. And he should have added another sentence to that message saying, so I chose business over you. And I definitely recognized it before that, but that was like, holy cow. And I can't even blame him because there's so many other millennials who view stuff this way. That lit the fire in me for sure. And I was already passionate about it, but this was like, you know, the proof I needed to be able to run with this idea. To this day, I know very few millennials who have actually grasped this concept. And millennials need to hear this message of of my book, Dear Millennial, from a peer because it's a lot more real that way. And what's interesting is I go to conferences, like I just went to Cole Hatter's conference, Thrive. I know you know Cole, he's a great guy. And almost every speaker, probably 30 years old and up, mentioned at least at one point in their talk that fulfillment, that it didn't matter how much money they made, but that fulfillment was what mattered the most. And it was so fascinating to me to hear that from from the older and and the wiser. And it really just like, confirm the concept of this book. Because when we're young, we have right now all the energy in the world and we have these dreams, we want to chase them. Um, But I think that if, I, I know that if somebody doesn't do something soon. And by somebody, I meant like writing me writing that book. We are going to see just a train wreck of millennials in 10 years who had been so focused on them, 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 ultimately like making a ton of money, getting this car, getting this house, that the relationships would be damaged, their health would be damaged. And, you know, an ultimate train wreck, if that makes sense. And so that's why I chose millennials. I think that millennials are a very powerful generation. And I want to see that power that each of us have individually directed towards their unique purpose rather than a thousand other different directions at once that are going to lead to extreme burnout, which I know you're familiar with, Jared, and and I am too, to a certain extent. I'd rather see it directed towards their unique purpose and then give them the tools to accomplish that in a way that leads to ultimate fulfillment and then ultimately creating a legacy that will last generations on generations beyond them. Yeah, and it's amazing just the study that I've done as a leader around generations and the impact they do have on other generations, parent to child, mentor to mentee, employer to employee, you know, fill in the blank with whatever they're different generations. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I've always thought it was really interesting how, you know, you go through the Spotify playlist of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s music. And it's like, how does every 10 years music get so dynamically different? What changes? I've always been fascinated by that with generations as well. It's like, you know, a little bit longer of a span there, but wow, things really change. Millennials are now outnumbering baby boomers, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't realize that, but it's like, there's a huge, huge need here and I love the way you frame that and, and just such an important need. So, um, and by the way, you guys, yeah, do know Cole and didn't get to go to Thrive this year, but you guys were out there at the same time as the gunman out in Las yeah. Vegas. I mean, it's just crazy. I was watching some stuff on TV yeah. about that today. And man, it's just, wow. I'm just so glad that that you guys were all safe. Uh, and I know some of, some of the people I've talked to that were at Thrive were very close by. So glad you guys got out of that, you know, feel horrible for the people that didn't. And uh, it's just such a crazy situation. So 
Um, But as we get ready to wrap up the show, where can people find you? Obviously, your book is on Amazon and likely maybe other places. I'm not sure where other, you know, where books are sold. Are you going to do an audio book or not? Are you going to do anything else related to the book? Is there a sequel? Is there, you just kind of handle this one thing at a time? What's, (laughs) what's going (laughs) Dear Gen Z. Um, yeah, you can find, I, I like to just direct people to one platform. I think that's easier. So I made a, a personal landing page, shalanginger.com, and that's C-H-E-L-A-N-N-G-I-E-N-G-E-R.com. And that has links to all the businesses, to the book, and to all my social media pages as well. And I am going to do an audiobook for Dear Millennial. Um, but I have asked, I have had a lot of people ask that I read it. So it's not going to be out as fast as it would if I just outsourced that. But yeah, I've talked to people who have done that and they're like, man, it is a whipping because I mean, when you're listening to it, you're like, oh, she just got in a, in a booth with a mic and read her book. How hard is that? I hear you. I know. I'm like, what did I take on? So, but I set a date, um, that should be out in February if if all goes to planned. And then um, I am gonna create courses for the book most likely, but I decided to launch the book, get the feedback from it and have the, the readers tell me what they would want course-wise. And it just launched a few weeks ago, so I'm not sure when, when that will come out. But if you wanna buy the book, it is for sale on Amazon. You can do an ebook or a physical copy and um, you can type Dear Millennial into Amazon or go to my landing page. That is awesome. Well, I knew it was going to be a ton of fun here with you today and it was everything I thought it would be and more. And I know people are going to get so much from this. So uh, we wish you the absolute best, not only on just the continuation of this book and its progression, but anything else you do uh, down the road. And I know there's going to be people following you as a result of this podcast. You've got an awesome uh, social media presence and a lot of fun. It's awesome to uh, to just see at a very young age just the success you've had and the learning you've had and can't wait to see what's up in the future. Well, thank you so much, Jared. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It was an absolute honor. Hey guys, what an awesome show today. If you would like to connect directly with me, please shoot an email to my team at info at success101podcast.com or you can catch me in the world of social media on Facebook, on the Success 101 Podcast Facebook community page or on Instagram under the name at Success 101 Podcast. I'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode. Until then.